Thank you for tuning in to the Maximum Advisor podcast. If you're a growth-minded financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, you're in the right place. Your host, Chip Munn, brings tips and best practices based on his experiences and has guests from financial advisors to industry experts sharing wisdom with one another because we're better together. And now, Chip Munn. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Sherry Holly of the Gratz Park Private Wealth out of Lexington, Kentucky. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chip. I am so happy and excited to be uh, engaging with you today. Well, it's, uh, it's always nice. I've heard so many things. Not only have we had the privilege of working together for uh, more than a decade, I guess, on and off in both our previous life and, and now, but I've always heard great things from all of our folks about your client experience and how much effort and focus you guys put into that. And so I'm excited to be able to talk to you about that today. But if you would, before we jump in, tell our listeners a little bit about Sherry Holly, where you are now, and if you would, how you got there. Well, thanks, Chip. I started my career actually in the insurance side of the business with MetLife in 1990. And I always knew that I wanted to be in the investment side of the business. And as my career progressed, I was able to obtain a job with Merrill Lynch. And I'm, I'm saying these things because these are all great corporations. And my life was always working within a corporation as an advisor. And as I grew, certainly had moved to different firms, some by my choosing and others uh, by the firm being bought out through acquisition. But recently, as I was working with Hilliard Lyons in my previous employment and really enjoyed the firm, wonderful people, I really gained an understanding of what firms have to do. And that is they have to really spend their money on their vast client base. And that is all the financial advisors and the direction those advisors want to go. And me and my team, we were pretty unique in that. And uh, we were setting our course to really deliver a, a really unique client experience, to be very close, have different relationships with our clients. And so that's kind of why we ended up here with Gratz Park Private Wealth. We decided to go independent and join Raymond James Platform, which gave us the tools and resources to deliver what we think is a pretty special experience. And so that's kind of my history and now forward looking and very excited to uh, be building this out. Well, and, and we're excited to hear about uh, really how it is that you've gone about doing that. If you would, kind of as we get started, when we talk about client experience is uh, a term that we hear a lot, but it can mean different things to different people. So when you set out to plan for and build your client experience, Sherry, what did what is client experience? When you think of that, it's kind of nebulous. What does it mean to you? When we talk about that, what, what does it mean? Well, it means to me what the clients are feeling and what it feels like to be a client of the Gratz Private Wealth Group. I think clients, when they come into an office or they engage with their advisor, it can get pretty mundane. We do annual reviews. We, we go over portfolios. All advisors do those type of things. 
I think that a client experience should be more than that. I think that what we do in managing their wealth, organizing their wealth, growing their wealth, protecting it is uniform across the industry. But how the client experiences that or feels that can be totally unique. And so I think of it a client experience, just a couple of examples. One was I was sitting with a client and we were at my table. And we use, you know, we meet around the table. We, we think of a circular uh, table as ideal because we want that client to experience a conversation, a relationship, and a feeling of, I am really important to this person. They want to know everything about me. And just as a aside, that client said to me, you know, I always feel like you have nothing else to do when I'm with you. I know I have your undivided attention. And it's just pretty impressive because I know you're very busy. And I want that as a starting point on a client experience. That's great feedback for me because I want them to feel that they are the only one that I'm serving. And we do that in a multitude of ways, not just by me giving them my undivided attention and sitting around that circular table and having conversation, not just talking numbers or looking at charts. We have real conversation without interruption. And so to me, it's what the client feels as a client of, or for us to be serving them. What do they feel throughout, not just a meeting with me or my team, or when they come into our office, when they walk in through the doors of our office, what is emoted? What is the feeling they get when they walk in our building? How do they experience us through communications that we give them, uh, whether it be paper communications, email, those type of things? All of that is the client experience. It's what they feel we are doing for them and how we do it. Wow, that, I, that's about as good a, a description as I've ever heard. And I think that oftentimes one of the things that you know, when I think about why the client experience is important, especially at the practice level, is, you know, we're competing against the best experiences in any industry. And so I think that most of us would agree that our services can be pretty similar a lot of times. But I think that the delivery of that service is where that client experience comes in. And they don't compare from one practice to another. Oftentimes, I think they compare us to you know, other companies, uh, whether it's an Amazon. Are we delivering as quickly on things as, as they feel like Amazon does or, or as well as you know, Ritz-Carlton and, and, and how we make them feel and how we're delivered? I really think anymore, our competition isn't for other advisors. It's if I were going to spend this much money for any kind of service, how am I going to feel here spending that money? for this service compared to other services that I could receive somewhere else. You know, that's a great observation, Chip, and well said. That's why I I love working with you because I love your insight. I've never said it that way. I always think of it as, you know, I hear people talk about their customer service experiences, you know, oh, I I was on hold forever. Uh, I called and nobody returned my call that day. You know, you think of those kind of things. But you're right. I do think that, you know, as an individual myself, as, as a customer myself or a client of a service or a product, I think about those things. I know, just like you said, when 
I go to a Ritz Carlton and have that experience, it's like no other. Just the little things that make me feel special, even if I'm walking in the hallway, not just the rooms and not just the concierge desk, but just walking in the hallway with every staff member they have, always saying hello, always greeting you. It's a different experience when I go there versus another hotel. So I I do think I measure, and I say it all the time, I want to deliver a Ritz-Carlton experience, that type of touch with a a FedEx logistics, you know, so that we're we're following through, we're doing it consistently. But I think that uh, clients feel that all the time. You know, customer service to them doesn't move from one industry to another. It moves from one brand to another, but not from one industry to another. They expect it across the board, but certain brands deliver and others don't. And you you can easily develop a reputation for that. And and I recently was reading a book and it referenced the fact that all of these things, speaking specifically actually of of Ritz-Carlton, all these things are part of a process. Not only do they have, now they have some discretion as far as uh, implementation and they can, you know, I think it's spend up to $500, you know, to make a guest happy. I mean, they have a lot of discretion there kind of at the individual employee level, but the way that they do things is a process. And I think that, you know, when I look at why is it important, it's important because it can bring us more referrals, but the notion that we can take a component of that and turn it into a process that's repeatable with all of our team members, I think uh, just amplifies our ability to develop a distinction between our practice, our brand, and other folks who might be in our marketplace. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's not just when you think about the consistency and repeatable process, that is so true, but it's still unique to each relationship. Because they're going to have slightly different interests from one relationship to another, things that they prefer versus another. So it's a repeatable process, but you can even make it unique to each relationship. As we're saying this, and I'm thinking, you know, we had a really great experience in talking about this. As we transitioned from our previous firm, we had a client that had accounts and they're in a small town. There was an advisor in that, atta- in that town that they knew very well with the previous firm and it would have been very easily uh, for them to just stay with the firm because they knew this advisor in this small town. They made the transition over to us instead. He told us, our clients told us, when I told the advisor why I was moving, he said, well, if it would have been anybody else, I w- would have felt I bet- would have been able to keep the relationship. But against Gratz Park and what they do, I felt that you'd probably leave. And that was the greatest compliment to us as a team because we know then we are delivering a unique client experience and we are doing things that other people see. Like you said, you can build your own brand. And what a compliment that not only do, and I'm sure that clients have to know or prospects have to know when your competition 
already knows. And, and kind of yeah. one of those things in your case, in, in that case, where the other advisor is saying, you know what, if, if you're talking to Grass Park, I know how they do things for folks like you. And I honestly, I mean, that's, again, the greatest compliment you could have is somebody saying that for somebody in this particular kind of category of person or in a particular situation, admitting they can't really compete to keep the client yes. as compared to, to the experience, you know, that you guys can give. So I think that's uh, it's pretty amazing. When you, when you talk, Sherry, about having a, you know, you can have a lot of things be the same, but it can be delivered in a way so that everybody feels unique. Can you, can you give me an example of that? Yes, I, I I think for us, you know, we do have deep relationships with our clients. We like to be nosy in a way, uh, but but gentle about it. And um, our clients feel comfortable sharing a lot with us. We do have a interest questionnaire, and our interest questionnaire it gets pretty granular. Uh, we like to know what their favorite candy is or their favorite flower, and so we may have a process and system about. Hey, when this client retires or when this client, you know, let's say they were recovering from an illness or an accident, we have a process to what we're going to do to let that client know we're thinking about them or we care. But it's going to be unique because we know what that individual likes. So if a particular client's favorite flower is stargazer lilies, that's what the client's going to get when they're not feeling so well. And we want to send just some nice flowers to brighten their day. It's not just going to be any flowers. So I think for us, we try to make the touch that we're giving unique. Even as simple as a client prefers paper versus email, we're not going to be emailing that client. We are going to be sending them paper notes, handwritten notes, uh, not email because it's just their preference. And so we want that experience with us to be unique. We send out communications to clients, but how do we send it to each of those clients? Do they have a preference? So we really like to get granular with our experiences, and that's why we think they they become unique. Well, you should know, just in case you ever have a need to send me flowers, that, uh, <laughs> that my wife says our fl favorite flowers are, I think, peonies. I think is the name. Peonies. Of okay. I have kept up. making a note now. I have kept up. Well, I will tell you, your wife has been good about keeping you up. That's yeah, for sure. She's, <laughs> she, she's got the, the slight thing. She knows the, the little nuances. So that's she's really good. Figured out. She's got to figure it out for sure. Uh, so what's the most unique client gift you've ever given? That I've ever given? Yes. I would say it would have to be flies. And I don't mean flies like in the house. But for a fly fisherman. Okay. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know much about fly fishing. I did know that he enjoyed it and was very particular. And so we were able to find a person who actually makes flies, you know, as far as the uh, bait. Uh, I, I may be misstating that, but that actually hand makes those. And so we... Uh, we, we had him make some of the flies for our fly fishermen as he was retiring. And so that was probably one of the most unique that I'd ever done because it was handcrafted and uh, it was pretty special to the client, especially coming from women. He was surprised because we did the research and figured it out. 
and he was pleased as well. So I think that was probably the most unique. People don't forget things like that. You know, I'll share two really quickly with you that. Okay. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's as part of our client experience is we do we we make a habit of of not making our clients wait a long time in the lobby. I mean, that's just a, a pet peeve of ours. And, you know, we respect people's time. However, most of the time we do allow them to yeah, hang around for three or four minutes out front. And it's very deliberate in that our kind of CSA that sits up front is extremely good at, actually, uh, all of ours are at, at casual conversation. And so we had a client one time that was coming through who was going to have to have foot surgery uh, the following mm. day. And, you know, again, it wasn't something they had mentioned to me, but after the meeting, our CSA let me know that, you know, you know, he's going to be having foot surgery. And at one point he had mentioned to me that he liked pedicures. And so wow. uh, when she mentioned that to me, we decided that we would go out and get uh, just a small gift certificate for a yeah. pedicure to send him with a note saying, just thought you'd enjoy this after you, you know, after you're feeling better. And he has raved about that now for just forever because they don't, it's, again, it's the kind of things that those small experiences that are those kind of, defi I've heard them called defining moments where right. we also, one other thing, just to brag on our team, because I thought it was pretty cool, is we had a, a couple who was going on a cruise for their 50th anniversary. And we only found out a couple of days beforehand, but one of our folks found out through their daughter where it is that they were leaving out of and on what cruise ship and had uh, chocolate-covered strawberries delivered to their room on their anniversary. And so, oh, wow. you know, again, for a, a, an A-level kind of top-flight client, you know, uh, folks, I, I had somebody tell me, a mentor early in my career, folks will leave their financial advisor, they'll have a hard time leaving their friend. And I think these client experiences, like you're talking about, of developing these deep relationships you know, those little things can make a huge difference of showing that you care. Agreed. Agreed. And you know what? As soon as you just said that, I said, oh, wow. And that's just it. I think that's probably what the client experience is that, wow, that wow moment. And so, I, you know what I, I heard in all of that, though, Chip, and you do so well, is that you listen. When you mentioned that you knew about your client having this foot surgery, you remembered because you listened, you're, you're an active listener. And I think that's what having the client experience, you've got to be an active listener. And I think you do a great job at that. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you've had an opportunity, you know, uh, my office and, and our town is small, particularly relative to yours. You've worked in a much larger office. And so I know that you have a lot of experience with watching other financial advisors. And so I'm, I'm sure that in addition to seeing a lot and learning a lot about how things can be done right, I, I, I wonder if you've seen some things that you'd consider to be kind of big mistakes that, that other, I'm sure you've never, I've never made, made a mistake. <laughs> I'm sure that you've seen some other folks, not yourself, who've made mistakes in, in how they deal with the client experience. Yes, and and I we've done the same. You know, it's it's always a learning process, and as we we build our practice and our business, we think about things that maybe we could improve on. 
And, you know, certainly working in an office and, and trying to mentor younger advisors, you know, we look at the things that maybe they could improve on and, and where they've made mistakes. And I think the, the biggest thing is over-promising. Having this idea that, yeah, I want to create this client experience that you talk about, or I want to set myself apart and really engaging in that, but not following through. So I think that's the biggest mistake, over-promising when maybe you don't have the uh, personnel to deliver that experience, or you haven't put the processes and systems in place to deliver that experience, and yet you talk about that client experience. I think that could be the biggest letdown is over-promising and over-talking maybe what things the client should expect and then not delivering those uh, because you don't have systems and processes in place. You definitely hit close to home there. And and I'll tell you, because my first client, actually, as we're recording this, today's his birthday. uh, So I'll have to, I'll be calling him this afternoon. But my first client who was not a family member or a very direct family friend uh, came to me actually back in those days by a cold call. And he was the first client that had ever given me more than $100,000. I was 22 years old (laughs) and he just has always had a a special place in, in my heart. But back when I was a brand new advisor and, you know, he came in, he opened an account and you know, I was going to be this high service. You know, that's that was going to be the thing. And I called him to wish him a Merry Christmas on Christmas morning for the first three <laughs> years. And in the fourth year, my son was you know, 18 months old and <clears throat> I was busy and I knew that he would notice. I mean, because, again, I, you kind of have established this expectation. expectation it's like in any yeah. relationship, if you do something two or three times folks come to expect it. And, and, but that really hit when you said that over promising, uh, that was just a, a real stark example for me, because it, again, for younger advisors, uh, there'll come a time when you have more clients. And so being mindful that there is a standard, you know, that you should set, but be mindful that eventually your practice won't look exactly like it does now and, and don't set yourself up. Right. That's correct. That's so good. Well, now, Sherry, from a client experience standpoint, do you guys, one of the mistakes that I've seen is folks who don't have anything defined, no segmentation, kind of really just there, there's a hygiene factor, I'll call it, of service. I mean, basic level of service that anybody should provide and that any client of any size, if they're going to be a client of ours, that they should come to expect. It's completely reasonable you know, for them to expect a, a, a certain and in most cases, a high level of service. But do you guys have, have you done anything in terms of kind of avoiding what I would be as a, a mistake in terms of, do you guys have a segmentation strategy and a way that you deliver your service? How does that work for Gratspark? We do. Obviously, we have a client base where we have top tier clients and then we have legacy clients of those top tier. So they may be children or grandchildren that are just starting to accumulate uh, wealth and need some guidance. And we still want to have a client experience with them. We don't want it to just be about managing their portfolio and and uh, protecting and growing their wealth. We will also want it to be about an experience of what it's like, again, to be a client of the Gratz Park Private Wealth Group. 
And so we have to tier those services because obviously, you know, there's a capacity and time utilization. So we tier those services. And, and the way we look at it is we have the deepest personal relationships with our top clients because they need the most attention. And we're going to have a really deep personal relationship with them because we're going to understand not only their basic goals, as you said, you know, that hygiene, you know, you go into your dental office, you, you're expected to get two cleanings a year, but the, the real deeper knowledge of that client comes based on the wealth. Obviously, we have to tier our clients, so we tier our services to that. And so all of our client experiences, we, we try to make, it, they're very personable. I mean, obviously, as you walk into our space in our office, you're going to have a certain feel. It's decorated elegantly. It has a coziness to it, warmth. Obviously, we're all women here, so that there's a, a level of, of warmth in and of that. But you're going to experience a really nice setting for your meeting and engagement while you're here. That's kind of basic. But as far as our deeper, more penetrating relationship, we move into another stage of personal touch with our clients. And so as we tier our services and client experiences, it's really based on those more personal level of experience, whether it be, you know, we're going to engage them at their home, if that's what they choose, because it's an easier and more convenient experience for them, and has how often and how many hours we're spending with them throughout the course of the year. So we do have a, a have to have a tiered level of service and, and segmented to our book. As you know, you know, as, as I said earlier, the children and grandchildren who are just accumulating wealth at this point of their careers and, and lives, they don't need as much personalized service or, or touch, um, but they are still going to get that basic level of service. It just gets to be a deeper level of service as we move up the uh, segmentation. Yeah. That, I mean, that definitely makes sense. And I, I think that we all have folks in our businesses that require more, that they're more sophisticated. They just have different, more complex needs. And again, a lot of the advisors uh, that I've seen and, and talked to who struggle, you know, the lack of a segmentation strategy and uh, again, treating all their clients the same can, can lead mm -hmm. to an awful lot of trouble. I think on that too, Chip, is when I, when I talk about the segmentation, everybody's going to have a great experience and there's going to be some really neat touches, but I think it's time. I'm going to give more time to those, like you said, the more sophisticated investors uh, that have a little bit more complex needs. So it's not just on the type of experience they're going to have. A lot of that is going to be based on time as well. And that's where I do segment. Yeah, me too. So uh, I think that, uh, again, this is kind of a, a show by advisors for advisors. And yes. I don't just read books about this stuff. I have to I deal with it every day. And I, I think that one of the, the areas where, again, I've seen uh, younger advisors, uh, I myself from time to time have, have run into trouble is, and, and something that sounds like you, you do really well, is, you know, every now and then you just, you don't understand or or, or don't pick up on what it is the client wants. And so it's hard to deliver on a, a unique or a special or a high-end client experience and deliver them what they want when when either you don't take the time or, or don't develop the understanding of exactly of exactly what that is. That's right. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that because you've got to carve that out 
because you can't be all things to all people, but you can be very special to all your clients. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, where you do have to tear it though. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fine line. And I think that again, in my practice, we, we've set the, what I'll call kind of the, the minimum kind of the bar mm-hmm. pretty high because uh, again, my, my philosophy has been, if you're, if you're our client, you deserve the best from an experience standpoint that we can do. And we set it uh, at a, a high level. And then for folks who require additional or unique or, or kind of more complex experience or who have something particularly special going on. I, I'm, I think it was Matt Oxley that talked about the surprise and delight. And I, I just think that there's so much in that that, again, regardless of the size, we can, in our processes and our stratifications, those are important to have. We can still, kind of like that Ritz-Carlton employee who has a certain mm-hmm. amount of, of discretion of how it is that they're going to help or they can kind of go above and beyond. I think that having all these, the systems and the segmentation is incredibly important. Uh, it'd be a mistake not to, but but also building in kind of the latitude uh, of our teams to be able to to go above and beyond. Well said. Yes. Well, thank you. Sherry, as we wrap up, one of the things that is important to me is that we be an actionable show. If you'll entertain me, I've tried this one other time and, and I liked it. I'm going to call this kind of a an in real life. And so I want our listeners to be able to leave and uh, walk through maybe uh, your process or mine if we were to to try to begin to to recreate a client experience just so that I think it's valuable to hear how other people think. If you would, I'm I'm going to throw out a scenario and let's let's talk through it for okay. you know, four or five minutes and see if folks can use that as an example of understanding how we would think through developing a client experience. So if uh, if we were, if you and I were going to build a client experience for a target niche of uh, retired physicians, so that's going to be our scenario. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to begin the process or at a very high level, we're going to talk about building a process or a client experience for retired physicians. If that was your goal, Mm-hmm. Where would you start? Well, first I would start, I uh, would create a timeline. For me, we work off timelines. And as a retired physician, if, if I'm thinking about that background and I'm going to delve really far into that, you know, what type of a physician were they? How, how was their practice set up? Did they have like a staff and they just showed up at the appointment for the patient and the staff did everything? How often are they, do they have free time, you know, as far as uh, when they were working, you know, is it they had free time early in the mornings? They like to do kind of their things 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Or did they take the lunch hour or did they wait till the end of the day? When were they most engaged on things that they enjoyed doing or needed to look after? And I'm going to carry that even though they're retired. I'm going to carry that over because that's that gets ingrained in you as you have lived your life. If you're used to getting up at five in the morning and taking care of business between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. So I want to get some background on this group of physicians, what type of practices they, they did so that I can get a really a real good understanding of what their daily life looked like, because that's probably carried over into their retirement. The other thing I would take a look at is what excites them. Is it as a physician, they, they are still 
maybe embedded into a particular hospital they, they enjoy, a children's hospital, and they're very passionate about it. I want to know that because if I'm going to do some type of donation in their honor for a charitable event, I want to know those type of things. So I really want to get an understanding of this group. What, what makes them tick? Because physicians are unique, you know, just like any other career. You know, they chose to go into a, a career of helping people, helping them get healthier. What's going to make them tick? So I want to gather that information so I have a background and I'm not just shooting in the dark to think, oh, maybe this will make them feel impressed if I deliver whatever it may be, whatever type of little gift or whatever type of experience, I would be shooting in the dark. So I really want to get a background and have a knowledge of what their days look like while they worked. And let's see how we can transition that over to their retirement. And I want an understanding of what is time like to them? You know, as a physician, they probably went from one meeting or one appointment to the next. So they're, they're not probably ones that like to linger in a meeting. Uh, an hour and a half meeting may not be uh, comfortable for them. So we want to be able to understand what does their timeline look like. We're going to gather all that information and then we're going to put it into our timeline and our processes and systems. Because as I said, we're going to have processes and systems as to what we do as we onboard a client and move through the transition of their accounts to us and then build on that relationship, helping them understand our resources and tools. And so that process is set over a timeline, and we're going to engage with that physician, that retired physician, with these experiences and this research I've done. And as we're moving through that onboarding experience, the engagement, and now they're a client, all of that experience, and we're going to be sprinkling that knowledge of what their lives are like. You know, how do they like meetings? Do they want to meet at home, or would they prefer to come into the office, or would they prefer to go to another location? Uh, whether it be having coffee somewhere. So we want to know all of those things because that's how we want to interact with that, with that client. So that would be how the day in the life of focusing on a group, a specific group. If it's an individual, if it's not that I'm tackling a specific group, if it's an individual, I'm going to do the same things. If I have a retired executive of a corporation that maybe ran a plant or something, I want to know what their day was like, because as I said, a lot of that is going to be carried on into their retirement lifestyle. People don't typically change their internal clocks. They usually continue to get up about the same time. They may sleep in a couple extra hours, but they tend to stay in that same pattern and doing those same things. And their brain is used to engaging in the same way. And I want a real good and full understanding of how that person ticks. I think that's amazing. I, I had made a note earlier as you were talking that it seems like you, you really try to walk a mile in their shoes, you know, when you were talking early on about developing your client experience. And I, I, I mean, I just think you gave us a great window into your world of how you think about that. And so uh, I'm one of several of the things that, that I heard kind of that, that are incredibly actionable for me as, as I'm thinking through. Uh, how you then build out a client experience. What I heard you say was that you focus on the time of day, what their day was like, because I think you're right that they don't, a leopard doesn't change its spots. And so, you know, those internal clocks are, are a real thing and, and meeting people where they are 
from a time of day standpoint, I think that uh, the time in meetings, uh, I thought, was uh, very important because, again, for a lot of folks, especially in this uh, example from a medical profession, you know, a lot of my physician clients, I meet them at the office on their lunch hour for 30 minutes and they, they want to know mm-hmm. what they want to know when they're out. And, and that's yeah. really kind of how they they operate because they're they're used to, you know, looking at an x-ray and making a decision and moving on. Right. So uh, I think that that is, you know, that was another pertinent kind of point where they worked. And if you're going to build out a, a niche of physicians, we have a large, our largest employer in our county is a particular hospital. And so uh, I think for folks who are looking to develop that, that kind of thing as a niche, being aware of kind of what the culture is in the place where they work and being able to kind of mimic and, and mirror what they're accustomed to if we're trying to really drill down on a specific subset. And then the other two things that, that I made a, a note of were, yeah, the differences in dealing with, again, speaking specifically to uh, a lot of the physicians that I work with, is noting we tend to fall into, have two types of physicians that we work with. Some that we only meet with the physician because it's usually at lunch or it's at some real specific time at their work. And then we have the other, we only deal or we predominantly deal with the spouse because they're the business person of the household. Yeah. And so it's a really interesting, I think, dynamic. If somebody were looking to to build out a client experience there, I, I think that, and, and then finally, knowing how they relate to us and, and other people. And again, if we were dialing in on this, most physicians are decision makers. They have folks who oftentimes report to them and they have a particular way mm-hmm. that they that they do things and that they're used to dealing with other professionals, whether it's their accountant or us, you know, prior to retirement as their advisor or their practice manager. Mm-hmm. They've got a way that they're used to dealing with people. And so if we were going to design an experience, kind of begin with the end in mind and, and know that this is how they, this is how they're naturally, you know, again, we're, we're speaking in a broad generality. This is how they're naturally right. going to best receive an experience and kind of designing it from there. And it sounds a lot like, you know, that's what you guys have done there in your practice. Yes. It's knowing your client I and mean, knowing your prospective client, uh, because as you said, it's, it's how they receive that experience. So I, I just, I think that uh, we overlook that. We think that we've got the experience and we've got it plotted out and that everybody's going to enjoy this experience this way. And that's not the case. We've got to be good listeners we, we've got to be good understanders and really trying to figure out what makes that person tick and how does that engine run because we all like different things. You know, we, we may, again, we're creating the same process and system to get to an end result, but how we deliver that to each individual is going to be slightly different, again, because how, how they, they want to receive that. I like the way you said that, how they want to receive that experience. Well, I, I just, Again, in 20 years, one of the things that I've learned is I have very few clients like me. And so it's much, especially, again, I started out with 22, at 22 years old, my friends didn't have any money. And so, you know, building a practice for people like me, uh, I would be (laughs) selling cars or back to teaching school if that that was the the approach. But I I think that we have to, you know, it's, uh, again, very 
pertinent to just to pay attention to the fact that uh, we're not designing these experiences for us. We're designing them for the clients that we have and the kind of clients that we want. Mm -hmm. Correct. Well, Sherry, I I appreciate uh, you taking the time with us today to come on the show. It has been fantastic. I've learned a lot. I've got a page full of notes and uh, I'm really grateful for your time is uh, incredibly valuable and I appreciate you investing it with us. Well, I appreciate you having me on. This is something I love talking about. This is our passion. This is This is what we deliver. This is uh, fun for us. So it's always exciting to talk about. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Bye-bye.